Good evening, sleepyheads, and welcome to the podcast to fall asleep to. I'm recording this episode in my Highland Park studio with producer Moose, and I am crushed to say that I am recording with only producer Moose, because last December, after the season one finale, producer Melvin unexpectedly became severely ill. And two days after that, we said goodbye to the sweetest cat who's ever lived. Fiance Morgan, producer Moose, and I are all completely gutted. If you wish to hear more about producer Melvin's life, keep listening. If that sounds a little too sad for you right now, please listen to a different episode and have sweet dreams. This is the story of the last seven-ish years of producer Melvin's life, as best as I can remember it, without having to ask fiancé Morgan for any more details right now. This episode is not intended to help you fall asleep, although if it does, great. But is instead a way to honor the greatest producer, cat, and friend I have ever known. I'm recording with the other greatest producer, cat, and friend I have ever known, producer Melvin's brother, partner, widower, and best friend, producer Moose. Many years ago, fiancé Morgan, before she was my fiancé and before we ever met, lived with roommates. One of these roommates wanted to adopt a cat, and Morgan gave her a ride to the cat rescue, which was less like a rescue and more like two cat hoarders who somehow got classified as a rescue in order to legally satisfy their addiction. This rescue was essentially a studio apartment in Hollywood with about 40 cats running around, trays of litter scattered around the floor amongst bowls of food and water, and a very fat tuxedo cat with a broken meow and a shell of litter crusted to his back from what we can only guess was a fall into wet litter and an inability to get it off of himself before it hardened. When Morgan arrived at the rescue, not intending to adopt, she was greeted by Mojo, who followed her around, doing his best to meow but sounding more like a duck than a cat. Maybe not a duck, but he definitely did not sound like a cat. It was clear, it was clear that Mojo had found his person, and Morgan, despite her best efforts, couldn't bring herself to leave without him. After getting him home, Morgan bought Mojo some very healthy food so that he could lose his extra pounds. And he lost weight. Quickly. So quickly, in fact, that he got fatty liver syndrome. This was because Mojo didn't like the healthy food that Morgan had bought him, so he didn't eat it. Morgan didn't know that he wasn't eating his food because the other cats in the apartment were eating it for him. 
So all she saw was an empty bowl and an obese cat losing weight after being switched to a healthy diet. But the jaundice was a clear sign that something was wrong, so Morgan took Mojo to the vet. The vet was owed a great deal of money from the cat rescue and would not treat Mojo until Morgan agreed to pay for this treatment herself. Mojo became Melvin, and Melvin became Morgan's. He was put on a feeding tube and needed 24-hour care for like a month. And his prognosis was not good. But Morgan loved Melvin and did everything she could for him. Eventually, a kind volunteer was brought in to help take care of him and get him to eat on his own. To do this, the volunteer smeared Melvin's new food on his nose. Instinctively, Melvin licked it off, so the volunteer smeared on more. And Melvin licked off more. And this continued... And as it did, Melvin became accustomed to the taste of this new food. And eventually, Melvin wasn't eating the food off its nose. He was eating it out of his bowl. He was cured, mostly. During all of this, Moose was in New York City, living with two other cats with whom he was friendly enough. I won't get into the details of why Moose and Morgan were separated, but eventually Moose came to Los Angeles and was reunited with his mother. And he met Melvin for the first time. Moose may have been Morgan's family longer, but he was new to L.A. and this was Melvin's house. And this house was too small for the boys to be effectively separated from each other in the way that cats ought to be when they are being introduced to belong in the same home. But although this could have spelled certain disaster, it was only a matter of weeks before Moose and Melvin were playing, cuddling, and grooming each other as best friends. Just as Melvin had seen Morgan and known that she was his person, He and Moose saw each other and seemed to know that they were a pair. Morgan and Melvin and Moose enjoyed life as a family, their bond growing stronger and stronger. But Melvin continued to have health problems. He got a tumor in his face that had to be removed along with most of his teeth. When he returned home from surgery, Moose cuddled with him and purred to make him better. Well, after he hissed at him for wearing a cone. Moose is of the opinion that any clothing or costumes beyond a sleek collar are unbecoming of a cat, and he is not afraid to let you know it. Eventually, Morgan and Moose and Melvin moved to Highland Park, and the boys had a yard to play in. Melvin even explored the neighbors' yards, finding bushes and spots of shade or sun, depending on his mood, to lounge in on his adventures away from home. 
And one day, the boys met me. I had limited experience with cats. I lived with one for about a year in college, but we were never super close, and I was slightly allergic to them. But I was crazy about their mom and also recognized instantly that there was something special about these boys. I didn't have much to compare them to, but I knew that these were no ordinary cats. I probably would have loved them the same even if they were. But shortly after meeting them, Melvin got an infection in his eye after getting in a fight with another animal during one of his adventures, we think. He had to be kept inside, because you can't risk another fight when you're half-blind. And he had an ointment applied to his eye every day. He also had to wear a cone some of the time, much to Moose's chagrin. And one day, due to circumstances I don't entirely remember, the time came to give Melvin his ointment, and I was the only one to do it. I had watched Morgan do it before and was fairly certain I could manage. But I was wrong. Melvin was a fighter, and although he seemed to like me well enough, he would not tolerate me putting him in such an uncomfortable situation, even if he might tolerate his mother doing the same. After seeing his incredible ability to wriggle and escape what I had naively believed to be a rather secure grip, with scratches on my arms, I informed Morgan that she would have to give him his ointment whenever she got home, as I could not manage. Nobody was surprised. Melvin seemed to still like me well enough after that. Maybe slightly less. But Moose had accepted me pretty quickly. He was be beginning to treat me like family. I was honored. I loved these boys. I loved their mother. And I wanted to be their family. And then I got a job on a movie that took me out of town for a month. And when I got back, Moose was more excited than I had ever seen him. And Melvin was happy too. But Moose was meowing and spinning around in circles and rubbing up against me and as happy as a cat could be. And when everything calmed down, he was cold, angry that I had left for so long. He punished me by staying cold toward me for four months until I left again. This time for six weeks. And then when I got back, he was so happy, just like before, except this time he didn't punish me. He stayed happy and sweet because I think he understood that even though I might have to leave sometimes, I'll always come back home. I always want to be home with my family. 
And Melvin still liked me well enough. Just enough. And I left for work again, this time just for a long weekend. And while I was gone, walking to a barbecue joint in Mobile, Alabama, I got a call from Morgan that Melvin was going to be hospitalized for the weekend. He had pancreatitis, and it didn't look good for him. But he was a fighter. The care he was receiving stopped his condition from progressing, but he wasn't improving. Not until Morgan was allowed to visit him at the hospital. And after visiting his mom, and probably smelling his brother Moose on her clothes, he perked up. And shortly thereafter, he started getting better. And he came home, and I came home, and we learned how important it was to make sure he stayed fed and hydrated in order to keep the pancreatitis at bay. And they gave us painkillers and anti-nausea medication and told us to make sure he ate. But his body hurt and he did not want to eat. When his regular food didn't interest him at all, we gave him some roasted chicken. He loved chicken. But sometimes the pain was so much that even roasted chicken couldn't whet his appetite. One night, because of circumstances I don't remember, it was dinner time and Morgan wasn't home. It was just me and Moose and Melvin. Melvin gobbled down his food like usual. Excuse me, he did not. Moose gobbled down his food like usual, but Melvin wouldn't eat a bite. I got out the chicken, and he still wouldn't even touch it. I tried and tried, pleading with him to eat in order to beat back the current pancreatitis flare-up, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. I felt helpless. I wanted so bad to help this cat, and despite my best efforts, I couldn't get him to do the one thing that would ultimately heal him. And I knew he must have been hurting so much if he wouldn't eat one of his favorite foods of all time. So I just pet him. I laid down on the floor in front of the refrigerator and pet him and cuddled him and talked to him. I told him that it hurt me to see him in pain, that I wanted to help him heal, that I loved him, and I would do whatever I could to take care of him. That he was my family. And after over an hour and a half on that hard floor in front of the refrigerator, swatting moose away from the bag of roast chicken, Melvin popped up, looked around, and started sniffing at the chicken. I grabbed a piece and gave it to him, holding Moose back with the other hand, and Melvin ate, 
and he kept eating. He didn't eat much, but he ate a few small pieces, as much as he could manage at the time. And from that moment on, we were family. Morgan and Moose had chosen each other so long ago in New York. Melvin and Morgan had chosen each other years before in Hollywood. Melvin and Moose had chosen each other in one of Morgan's other apartments. Morgan and I had chosen each other a two mutual friends wedding in Malibu. I had chosen Melvin and Moose. And Moose chose me. And then he got mad at me, but then he chose me again. And now, finally, Melvin chose me too. I was his family. He was mine. And... We were happy. And Melvin and Moose began producing this podcast. I moved in with Morgan and the boys. In the summer, they got fleas. They got them so bad that we had to get flea medicine and wash them with special fleas shampoo. Not in that order. Moose fought going into the shower and cried when I held the door and Morgan washed him and combed him and shampooed him and rinsed him. He fought, but eventually he gave up, understanding that this was happening for his own good and even if it wasn't for his own good, it was happening. And he resigned himself to get through it as cooperatively as he could endure something he hated so much. Melvin on the other hand, never resigned himself. He knew that we would never do anything like that unless it was to help him. But he could not overcome his instinct to get out of the water. He scratched Morgan all over. He used his surprisingly strong little forelegs and paws and claws to yank open the shower door if I let my hold on it slip for even a moment. He was a fighter. But eventually he was washed all over and let out of his least favorite place in the world. And every time anyone showered, he would stand outside the door, watching them, making sure they were okay. Because he believed everyone must surely hate that wretched raining box as much as he did. So he watched, ready to take care of us when we got out of there. Because he loved his family. He always wanted us to be happy. He was very affectionate. In fact, he was so affectionate that he became an affection eater, meaning that he often wouldn't eat unless someone would first pet him and show him affection and that he was loved and safe. And he loved pets. Sometimes he would reach out and grab your hand and pull it back to him if you were petting him and dared to pull away while he was still enjoying it. One time he reached out like this directly in the eye line of a three-year-old girl who screamed at seeing his paw so close to her eye. In fact, she screamed so loud, 
so loudly that for a second I thought he might have actually scratched her. And he hadn't, but when she got home, she told her father so dramatically, so pitifully, Melvin hit me. It was hilarious. And years later, she's still a little hesitant around cats. I don't think she even remembers the incident, but it's just a part of her now. And another time at the vet, Melvin was in his kennel as a puppy roamed around the lobby. The puppy came to the kennel to sniff this strange creature, and Melvin immediately swatted at it. From within the kennel, his swat was completely harmless. However, the terrified puppy bolted back to its owner, tail between its legs. It was hilarious. Melvin hated babies and dogs, so this puppy was his worst nightmare. And he certainly showed it who was boss. But babies and dogs, and puppies notwithstanding, Melvin was the sweetest boy in the world. He would always let his family pet him, or play with him. And if anyone was too wrapped up in their own things, Melvin would come to us, and be with us, and be sweet and affectionate with us. He was always bringing his family together. He would gracefully pop up wherever someone was, his big eyes curiously examining everything, his little nose giving you a boop of love before sniffing around the area, making sure his family was safe and happy and loved. If anyone was having a rough go of things, we went to Melvin. He would always cuddle and purr and make things better. He was all love. Over the years, he had a few more pancreatitis flare-ups, but he always bounced back. He was a fighter. And he had renal failure. And the vets were amazed that he was so happy despite his... Numerous conditions stacking up. Cats with blood levels so bad, they would say when looking at his blood work, are usually miserable, but he's happy and energetic and sweet. And he was on a special food and supplements and got extra frequent blood work to monitor his conditions. And his vet visits were sometimes stressful. He spent so much time with his family during this pandemic, but we weren't allowed into the vet with him because of COVID restrictions. For you know most of 2020, so his blood pressure started measuring high, and. We thought that was due to the stress of being at the vet without his family, of being dropped off there alone. So we had someone check his blood pressure at home, and it was fine. But as time went on, it 
did start to get a little worse. He was borderline hypertensive, but not enough to need medicine. We were all relieved because everybody loved Melvin. He loved his family unconditionally. Constantly, unwaveringly. He taught us the importance of love and of family. And he reminded us of the importance of food. He reminded us of this whenever he stopped eating. He was eating a special renal support diet to help him manage his kidney failure, but he really wanted to eat his old food, which Moose was still able to gobble down every day happily. And we tried so many different kinds of kidney food, but Melvin struggled with them. One day after a couple days when he hadn't been eating great, he wouldn't touch his dinner. Wouldn't even touch it. Hey, Moosey. Yeah, I'm just talking about your brother. I know, I know. A lot of people really miss him, just like we do. Yeah, sit in that chair. Good boy. He wouldn't eat his dinner, but... I'd played that game before, so I tried to pet him and cuddle him. Hoping the affection would help him eat. But he just licked the inside of his mouth. Good boy, Moose. Moosey, don't touch that. Don't do that. shouldn't touch that. Okay, good boy, good boy. Yeah, it's, it's all yours, Moose. Mark the recording equipment. It's, it's all yours, buddy. Good boy. Good boy, Moose. Good boy. Good boy. Don't do that, because that can fall off the wall and that would chairs on the other side. Don't, don't, don't touch that. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. Good boy. Good boy. Good boy. Good boy. Good boy, Moose. Big boy. And uh, he kept licking the inside of his mouth until something popped out of it. It was a tooth. Part of a tooth. I wasn't really sure, but I was sure that his teeth shouldn't be falling out of his mouth. 
The blood coming out of it also seemed like a pretty bad sign, so we rushed him to the emergency vet. Because it was a weekend night, so our vet was closed. And they said the root of the tooth was still in there, and another one was cracked and infected, and we needed to get them removed. So they gave us painkillers and antibiotics to tie him by. And we took him home and got him to take his medicine and eat. And then his normal vet examined him and confirmed the emergency vet's diagnosis. But they couldn't get him in for oral surgery for a couple months. So they gave us more painkillers and antibiotics. So we took him to another vet. And they could get him in for surgery the next week, so we scheduled the appointment. But before we could bring him in, on an overcast Tuesday afternoon, Melvin threw up. And he kept throwing up. And he threw up until there was nothing left but foamy bile. And he was so weak from throwing up that he didn't even bother to move out of it. Instead, he just let him fall down into his own sick. So we took him to the vet and they gave us anti-nausea medicine and gave him subcutaneous fluids. And when we got him home, They told us to give him painkillers and an appetite stimulant and to get him to eat. And they said if he didn't eat anything or improve by morning to bring him back. So we did. And they put him on an IV all day. And at the end of the day, they told us to take him to the emergency vet for overnight hospitalization. because they didn't have the facilities for that at the regular vet. So we took him to the emergency vet, and we held him, and we kissed him, and we had to let him go so they could take care of him. And we called throughout the night for updates on his condition. He was having an acute, severe attack of pancreatitis and his blood sugar was dropping and his blood pressure was dropping and they were trying more medicines and more aggressive treatments and we asked to please come and see him but they said they couldn't let us inside due to COVID restrictions so we asked if they could put a phone to his ear and we could tell him how much we loved him and let him hear our voices. And they did. And shortly after, at almost four in the morning, he started to respond to some of the medicine. We couldn't believe it. After having slept for only a couple hours the night before, we finally felt like we could get some shut-eye. And then around 7 a.m., the morning doctor called. 
Melvin's blood oxygen level was low. So low that they had to put him in an oxygen tank and would have to give him a transfusion if they could get his oxygen levels up. If. And we said we had to see him. And the doctor told us to come immediately. And we got there, and they took us to a private room, and the doctor came in and talked to us, but I don't remember what she said. I just needed to see my boy. They took us back to his oxygen tank in the ICU, and he looked so weak. His eyes, wet and sad. Parts of his arms had been shaved where they had to put in IVs, and he was hurting. But he saw us, and he stood up. And we opened the hatches and stuck our arms into the tank, and he purred as we pet him. He stuck his little head out of the tank and booped us with his nose. And he tried to crawl out of the tank into our arms, but the hatches were too small. And he still needed the oxygen. So we told him how much we loved him, how proud of him we were, and that we'd be back soon. And we closed the hatches and they took us back to the private room. They said he could go any minute. They explained what was happening to him. It was a little hard to track because we were so emotional, but... Basically, his pancreas was causing his body to react with some kind of immune response that was essentially making his other organs fail. Liver, kidneys, lungs, pancreas, everything was starting to fail and would likely always have massive problems if he somehow made it through. If. But that wasn't likely. What was likely was that he would suffer and his pain would become so great that it would overcome the painkillers he was on and that our boy would just keep hurting more and more. And it was a guarantee that his condition would continue to get worse. It was technically possible that he might start to get better eventually after things got first worse and worse and worse and worse. But it was extremely likely that his organs, his failing organs, would continue to fail until they did. All of them. 
total organ failure was what? Was beginning to happen. What they expected would continue to happen. And they said they, they could keep trying to treat him, but he could go at any minute. And if they kept treating him, they would have to make us leave again while they did it. And if something happened, he'd be alone. And it was pretty much a certainty that something would happen. And I didn't want to believe what they were saying, but I knew it was true. Because I saw it in his eyes. After everything that he had been through, he didn't want to fight anymore. I would have given anything to even the odds to give him a chance to overcome what was happening in his little body. But there was nothing. There was no way to help him get through it. The only help we could give was to help him end it. before every aspect of his existence was just torture. And we made the most difficult, heart-wrenching, horrible decision we've ever made. Horrible for us, because we have to live with it. But for Melvin, it was the kindest thing that we could do. We let him end his life with little dignity and with the comfort of his family. They brought him from his oxygen tank in the ICU to our private room. They put an oxygen cone over his face. He wasn't able to move much, but he looked around at us and he purred. He was struggling for breath. His lungs were failing him and becoming more obstructed by the second, but he purred with every pet we gave him, every snuggle, every tear, every little boop on the nose. He was getting discolored from jaundice. He looked like he was crying. He was hardly responsive, but he purred as much as he could. And he was ready. But we weren't. We pet him and loved him and told him what he meant to us, and he hung around to let us. And his breathing became more labored and his purrs weaker. And we knew we had to let him go, even if we weren't ready. 
because he was ready. He was done fighting. He had stayed around to say goodbye to his family. And he did. And he was only there. Sticking around for a little longer because we needed him. But he was ready. So we told the doctor, and she explained to us what each injection was and what would happen. We pet him, and we told him we loved him. And we watched the light leave his eyes as he purred for the last time. He was gone. That special love he had that bound our family together was gone. The joy he brought to us every day was gone. One of the brightest lights went out of our lives. And we bawled. We asked for the blankets he had been on, but when he had been removed from the oxygen tank, another animal was put into it and his blankets had been thrown into the laundry. We asked if it would help Moose to have something that smelled like him, so he might understand. So they gave us some of Melvin's fur. And when we got home, after we cried and cried and hugged Moose close, and he cried for his brother, we showed him the fur, and he smelled it. And he grabbed it, and he pulled it close, and he tried to groom it. And he cried for his brother. And we cried for them both. And our family became smaller. And we all experienced a new kind of grief. And we held each other and we depended on each other, and we loved each other more than we ever have. We tried to make up for Melvin's love, the love we lost, by loving each other even more. And we remember what that love meant to us, and we're beginning to understand how important that love was, how important all love is. And we're better, better people, better cat, for having been Melvin's family. And there's so much more to Melvin's story, but I don't have the time or the heart to tell it right now. So I will just say that I hope you can learn from Melvin, like I have, and love, put love into the world. For Melvin, for yourself, for everyone, just love. I'll start.
I love you. And thank you for listening. Fiance Morgan, producer Moose, and I are all very grateful for the love and support that Melvin has gotten during his time producing the show. I hope the listeners everywhere can live by his example. If you're supporting on Patreon, those funds will go to offset the costs of hosting the episodes online so that people can continue to benefit from them. I do want to come back for season two. I don't know. As at the time of recording this, I don't know when that will be. Whenever producer Moose and I have the heart to do this regularly again. But again, the Patreon will still go to offsetting the costs of hosting the files online, which is more than I get on Patreon, but that's fine. Because this show is about helping people. Something that producer Melvin advocated for every day. So it's worth every penny. Thanks again for listening and for all the support we've received over the years. Melvin may be gone from this earth. But he's always in our hearts. And for producer Moose and myself, I can say that our hearts are with you. Be good. Love a lot. And sweet dreams. <laughs> <laughs>